Hey everyone, welcome back to the Trail Life Podcast. Thank you for joining me on another episode. And uh, <laughs> trying to be a little bit soothing when you jump into this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I've got a great one for you today. I know I say that a lot, but uh, today we're going to be working on some education. And I'm going to say a term here really fast, and I don't want you to turn off the podcast uh, just so quickly, but uh, we're going to be talking a little bit of science that's right. A little bit of science and the lessons you can learn with downhill running. I've actually brought in uh, one of my favorite coaches out there. Uh, he he's he knows his shit. He's totally dialed into this and he's going to break it down. We have a lot of laughs with this conversation. So it's not all serious. I promise. So let's uh, let's get educated. Welcome back to The Trail Life. David Roche. The Trail Life Podcast is presented by Solomon. For 75 years, their passion for outdoor sports, new technologies, and craftsmanship have driven them and still do to create progressive gear to enable you to freely enjoy and challenge yourself in the great outdoors. Today, Solomon has an incredible lineup of road and trail running footwear and hydration gear, perfect for any runner on any terrain, no matter the challenge. Check them out today at your local running store like Runner's Roost or at Solomon.com. Well, help me turn the turn in. Sweet. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> well, David, thank you. Finally, uh, after a couple of snafus of the uh, schedule this week, we're finally able to uh, to do this. So I appreciate you uh, jumping on for a little bit and, and yeah, chatting with me. I'm so excited. This is the perfect <laughs> afternoon treat for me. I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks since uh, the Blackhawk race. Uh, did you get a chance to recover from that, that event? <laughs> yeah, that was good. Fortunately, events under uh, 90 minutes are usually pretty smooth recoveries for me. Um, nice. so I was able to get, able to get right back into training though. I do it. will admit that like four days later, I just found myself being way more tired than I would expect. So I assume that was the race coming in. Probably the <laughs> fact that I didn't bring any water with me, uh, also was a, uh, a contributed a little bit, but it got yeah. me to the finish line. Well, course record holder for the Blackhawk race now. So, and I was looking at it and actually now you and Megan, both hold the course record for the half marathon, both male and female. So it's a family affair, I guess, so to speak at that event. Yeah. Trying to keep up with Megan is a, my life story. So it's perfect. <laughs> well, we are, uh, we're going to be talking a little, a uh, little education science today. And I, I was reading your article and, and for those who don't get a chance to take a look at trail runner very often, uh, David's a frequent writer for Trailrunner Mag and, and has some really great articles. So if you get a chance, go and check out uh, some of the articles he's written because they're very, very well written. And I always learn something every single time I read one of your articles. So thank you for that. But there was one of you, the tagline for, for one of the taglines that I've kind of saw in the, in this article that kind of drew me to it instantly. And maybe this is probably the best way to do it. You talked to, you said the extreme scientific sexiness of downhill running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Megan and I love the term sexy, uh, to describe all science, because I think a lot of people, the barriers to entry are formed when we're really young. And then scientists themselves often keep those barriers to entries up because it feels like, oh, it, 
validates them in their field. And so um, the more we can just bring it to everyone and let you know that these are actually processes that like anyone can understand, whether we're talking about running science or even more advanced science. And while we might not have that level of understanding of a PhD, you can still hop in and use those takeaways for yourself and learn. So Sexiness, our way of saying like, this is for everybody and it's fun. And so our goal is to always make it fun. So if you ever read my articles, there are a lot of jokes in there and Troner's basically decided we'll let you do whatever you want. Oh, a little bit of freedom. Like I I know that's what I love about your articles. Like you you definitely jab in some really good one-liners in there, here and there. And it's, it makes the the reading of it, especially when it, when we're talking like more of the scientific and like technical type of stuff. It's, it's really easy to, to read and kind of follow along with. So, well, thank you. Yeah, no, I think the more, the more playful, all of this stuff can be the better, whether that's science or training theory or anything, even moderately technical and whatever, uh, you know, a listener does in their lives, like everyone will fall asleep to a technical presentation in any (laughs) field. And I say that as someone who had my training as a lawyer and learned that and presented in a lot of um, church basements in the Gulf Coast. Like a lot of my work was in that area. And I learned really quick, oh, the only way to ever bring like the whole group with you is to let them know that like, this is interesting. This is fun. This is the type of thing you want to explore and enjoy Um, because no matter what the field is, it's so easy to just like burn out or be like, I don't want to deal with that stuff anymore. So I think training theory is one of the ultimate areas that can be such so much fun and can be a mix of science and art. And the, there are, since there aren't like set in stone solutions to every problem, it's a hugely exciting area where anyone can find their own solutions. So just because I say something doesn't mean someone listening to this might not find a better solution as long as they understand some of the basic like physiology of it. Um, So we're talking about four scientific driven lessons or science driven lessons of downhill running. And I want to preface this by this is information that you didn't really come up with all by yourself, but it was based on a webinar you went to earlier in July and listened to researchers talk about uh, downhill running from, from that concept. Am I correct on that? Yeah. So the way it worked was, um, a few months before that I was invited to actually participate in this as the quote expert panelist that comes in at the end and, um, with the coaching perspective. So I, I, I say yes to everything. So when it involves stuff like this, and it was kind of one of those through the looking glass moments, because, you know, so it was for the top researchers in the world, um, all international. I think none of them were from the U S and then me coming on and talking a little bit about, uh, coaching. So, um, hopefully I carried my weight, but, uh, one of those moments of like, oh, you know, I'm on here talking about this stuff at the same level I like to think, um, and even in a more applied sense in a broader level. And I don't have a PhD in any specific field related to this. So it shows how, you know, the barriers to entry sometimes are like mirages. And mm-hmm. as long as you're respecting the expertise and calling on the experts, um, you know, you can participate in those conversations in a really meaningful way. So let's just, uh, let's kind of just get into it, into the meat of everything. Um, like I said, there was four, four lessons that, that you've kind of learned through this webinar. And I was hoping you could just kind of go through and kind of just break down each one of those lessons for people. Great. Yeah. So, um, lesson one is a little bit of a technical lesson. So, uh, throughout this, I think I actually wrote an article, um, in addition to this called the science of downhill running. Um, and it gets into some of the the basics of the physiology. This is like a step beyond it. So I'll try to bring some of that in. 
as we go. Um, so the very first lesson is that the repeated bout effect can lead to rapid adaptations. And so the technical term of art here, which is probably just what it sounds like, is the repeated bout effect. Uh, all that is, is the first downhill, the experience that the um, physiology undergoes is going to be a lot different than the second, and it is going to be fundamentally different than the 10th. Um, so there's a whole suite of studies out there that look into how the repeated bout effect um, affects output, and then also what the physiological mediators are for performance deterioration that can happen after the first downhill, the second downhill, and on and on. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. I, you know, from, from a training perspective, like how, you know, how this kind of plays into everything. I mean, how does stuff like this or how does lessons like this ch uh, change for your, for not only your training, but for how you train your, your, uh, your runners? Yeah. So I think it all gets back to the underlying physiological rules that we're seeing here. And so yeah. before we get into the actual specifics, uh, I think it might help the listeners to have a hypothetical. So in general, trail running is running and you know, a runner that works on their speed and their aerobic development will be fantastic on trails as long as they're proficient with the technical elements. And that goes especially for downhill running um, on the first downhill. But then on each subsequent downhill, um, if a runner is not trained specifically for trails or aware of these physiological realities, a runner that is specifically trained will absolutely truck them uh, as they their body um, starts to break down. Um, and so it all comes back to these breakdown processes that you can, your body can get some protective guarding against. Um, so in a basic overview of the breakdown um, that's at play mostly has to do with something that a lot of listeners have probably heard of eccentric muscle contractions. If you haven't heard of it, you've definitely felt it, at least the after effects of it, which is a few days later, anywhere from uh, 24 to 48 hours, your soreness will increase and you'll have this delayed onset soreness. It's when like, sometimes you have trouble walking down the stairs and things like that after a harder, harder session. Um, and you also notice that once you get used to it, you have a lot less of that. And so even short of the like full body implosion that is embodied in delayed onset soreness, you're undergoing the same sorts of um, eccentric contractions. And what that is, is the muscle lengthening under load. So when you're running downhill, uh, your knee hits in a more outstretched way. So your leg is more outstretched okay. and then right. you absorb the load. So you can think of it if you hold your arm out and then bend your elbow, the tricep area. And so that stretch that's happening while it, um, it lengthens under that load can cause essentially muscle tearing. That's an easier way to think about it. But in addition to that can actually cause, um, ner like nervous system issues that can even lead to things like cramps. A lot of what we perceive as cramps from other issues could possibly be from, um, being un unprepared for downhill running. And, um, that's where the repeated bout effect comes in understanding that, okay, these are natural physiological processes. They're always going to happen when you first okay. do downhills. The way to train for them is to, you know, cross-reference the studies that are out there with what we know in practice works for people that excel and then apply that in training, um, which, you know, can look a lot of different ways, but all stems from the basic idea that the first time you do this, your body is going to be fucked. <laughs> and then the <laughs> second time you do it, it's actually going to be way better. Um, some of these studies show a 7% performance reduction after one downhill bout on the first time you do it. And then the next time it might be as low as 2%. And then how low can it get over time? It can get really low. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of physiology and genetics at play, but then there's also a lot of, okay, I think what athletes consider endurance in this sport is often just 
you know, specific training for downhill stimuli. Yeah. Was there like, so from, from the research aspect of it, and maybe mm-hmm. you don't know this, but when they look at downhill running, are they looking at all different types of uh, terrain? Are they looking at the the grade? What, what are they looking at as far as the bout effect and the, how you adapt to that? Like, yeah, you nailed the perfect question. Um, so yeah, ask any question as you go, because I'm, I've been knee deep in this for, for years now. Um, so they measure a couple different ways They're The first, um, you know, dichot or two different paths on the evolutionary, uh, pathway of measuring downhills are real world, um, experiments or a lab. So treadmill or real world, real world experiments are very limited. Um, occasionally do them, but not to measure, um, the types of variables that researchers like, because it's really hard to, um, gather enough data from it. So there's a few of those studies that might get into later, but usually it's at like negative 15% grade, um, on the treadmill. So steep. Um, and the, the big thing is steep downhill running is what, um, instigates these changes much more rapidly, um, to do this on more moderate grades would take a bit of time, but, you know, to go back to the Blackhawk race that you mentioned that had plenty of grades that would have led to these types of, um, issues, even though it wouldn't be known as like a European course or something. So Mm -hmm. these types of things really start to become a big issue early on. So, um, you know, a good example is, uh, this, one of the studies on the repeated bout effect from 2022 in the European journal of sports science, it conducted it by having a 30 minute downhill session on 15% downhill grade. And then after it, they measured a number of different variables. So, you know, their, their baseline running economy, so how fast they could run on flat ground, um, how much their muscles actually wanted to contract. So measuring what the breakdown was before the breakdown fully manifests itself, um, along with a few other things. And then they did the same thing uh, three weeks later. And so just from one 30 minute downhill session separated by three weeks, they saw fundamental changes of, you know, up to 10% or even more in the body's readiness to adapt to this load and avoid the performance reduction. So, um, the repeated bout effect essentially means the, you don't need to reinforce this constantly, but um, because the adaptations will be a little bit sticky, but this is where research and training theory diverge a little, like, some coaches have seen this in type of research, which is, um, you know, been occurring now since the mid eighties and say, oh, well, yeah, you can basically train flat and then do some downhills. And I think in practice, that's just not backed up by what we see in, um, the most elite performers. And so what we're focused on, and when I say we, I mean, um, my wife, Megan and I, um, who's the brains of the operation is <laughs> making sure downhills are something every single one of our athletes can master and feel damn near indestructible on race day, because if they can do that, then everything else can fall into place. If they can't, then this repeated bout effect and the physiological damage will prevent their fitness from actually shining. Um, you know, that's every athlete knows that feeling where it's like, you know, I feel fine. I have energy, but I just can't run up hills anymore or even hike up hills. Like I just, my legs have gone. That's almost always from downhills, believe it or not, even though it feels like it's from uphills, even it feels like it's uphill fatigue. It's the muscles being too fatigued and actually not even present. Um, so that even if glycogen is available, even if an athlete isn't bonked, they're not able to, you know, put out any power. And that's where the bulk of DNFs come from that aren't nutrition related. Wow. So the, um, so this, and I'm, I'm going to jump around from lesson Definitely. to lesson. I'm, I'm not going to go straight from what your article says here, but from the question I just asked, as far as the differences in 
and grades and trains and stuff like lesson three talks about runnable downhills versus steeper downhills. Yeah. Does that kind of, does that kind of play into the same category? Cause obviously those are a little bit different. So I think the fundamental issue with runnable when we're talking, let's say anywhere from, you know, 1% grade up to six or 8% grade even is that most athletes will confront those types of grades in their training just naturally. And so we don't need to worry about it. Um, and this goes for uphills that are similar grades too. Like, unless you live in Florida, um, you're going to be running up and down slight Hills sometimes. And so you're going to have these adaptations in the background in, in a pretty meaningful way. The difference is once it gets steeper than that, um, athletes might confront those sometimes. Um, but when they're confronting those, they're not doing it in such a way that they're, uh, instigating the same adaptations and stimuli that you'll need on race day, because like you're, if let's say you're out there on a really easy long run, you might just kind of pitter patter down that Hill. And then on race day, you're going a mile per hour faster, which doesn't feel yeah. like much, but it's a totally different, um, contraction pattern and can cause way bigger issues. So, you know, I don't really mess with like athletes needing to be prepared for moderate downhill grades. Like if your half marathon trail race has a thousand feet of climbing, a little bit of, you know, something similar like that helps. But once you start to get over that, once you start to get into like 1500, 2000 feet, those, those types of ratios, um, it becomes key to train for specifically at race efforts or, you know, even faster, because if you're not doing that, the body's going to see that first. It's like the first part of this study that we talked about. It's like the very first session. It's going to be like the first session your body goes through. Mm. And we know from the literature and we know from experience that that'll just lead to, uh, <laughs> pretty roughed up legs. And that's where I think a lot of, especially in ultra marathons, um, the athletes like are that have unexplained endurance issues. It often ties back to downhill failures, like muscle memory, right? When you're you're doing anything else, right. It's so, I guess that's, that's the way I, now that's the way, that's the way my brain is starting to put things together now is the muscle memory aspect of it. Just like you were doing anything else. Whereas, you know, the more you, the more you do in the, the downhills, the more your body's going to react to those certain grades and everything else. Okay. So, well, no, I, that's a, that's a good point. So I think muscle memory, a lot of people assume like a neuromuscular, like a brain element of that. Yeah. So that is one end. So the nervous system end of it does mm-hmm. matter and how the brain processes these signals and how the electrical signals are, are passed. And even your technical proficiency, which is extremely important. You know, we're not talking about that in, in the studies almost never talk about that. That's more of a coaching thing. Um, but then on the other end, it's almost more like, uh, how you would adapt to a weightlifting session. Um, and I think a lot of athletes, so, you know, are essentially stepping up to the bench press, having never bench pressed before they've done some arm curls, Mm -hmm. they've maybe done some pull-ups, but the first time they're stepping up to the quote, uh, you know, the metaphorical (laughs) bench press is on race day, or they're doing it like two times before the race. And I'm like, Hey, if the race is measuring bench press ability, we need to be doing that constantly with a major focus. Um, or we're going to be, you know, getting up there and undershooting what we're capable of. I want to jump ahead to your lesson four in your article. It talks about physiology of things. And I want to kind of hear your, your take on this. Like I, I've always kind of been like curious when you see you know, when I'm seeing runners out at races or I'm seeing runners during training or myself, um, does the physiology of it, when you're, do you want to take your short steps as you're going down? Are you taking your long steps? Like, how does that, how does that differ and factor into 
the downhill training aspect of it and what you're talking about in your article here. So I think there's a, a couple interesting ideas there. Um, the first is that one of the only really good real world studies, um, what it found is that the athletes that demonstrated better performance, so better downhill running ability and less you know, damage from each bout were actually changing up their form as they went more than athletes that were, um, having bigger issues. So it gets to the point that downhill running is more of a dance where you have to be flexible in how your foot falls, how your legs move, all those different things. Um, but in coaching, we've gotten it down to very simple recommendations, which is the quickest feet you possibly can within reason, you know, you don't want to be running ridiculously, but quick feet, quick feet, quick feet, always, um, a few reasons for that one, um, eccentric contractions. If it is caused by, um, the lengthening under load process, you want to limit the lengthen. And so as you take a longer stride, the lengthen, so the amount that your knee absorbs and your body moves over that center of gravity and pushes all of the weight through your quad is going to be greater. So a lower cadence is going to likely lead to higher rates of muscle damage, even if it feels more efficient. Um, the other one is a technical reason, like a good example is being the black clock half that you did. So there's a, um, one steep trail that's moderately technical coming down from the high point of that race. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing quick strides on that, you're going to have to pick your steps much more wisely, or you're going to be on the ground. And so, you know, this year I either set like a fastest time or close to the fastest time on that. And it's all just quick, quick feet. Um, so that every time you take a step, it doesn't need to be a good step because you're already on to the next step, which I think athletes that assume that they're not proficient at downhills often have a form issue, which is they're thinking about each stride, um, and each step needing to be good or land on the rock on the right place or anything like that. Yeah. And that's just like, not feasible. Um, you know, the brain can't process things that fast. If you look at the best downhill runners in the world, they have tons of missteps. Um, there's on to the next step before that misstep leads to them hitting the ground. Um, and that's why downhill running can become something more like skiing or, you know, you're much more relaxed in it because you're moving over the terrain in a, uh, you know, a more fluid way rather than a step-to-step sort of way. Yeah. I, I, I definitely notice that when I'm, I mean, I, I'm like a bowling ball going downhill though. I'm too, <laughs> so for me, it's like, I really don't have much of a choice. Slowing me slowing down and taking shorter steps. And uh, <laughs> that hurts me a little bit more versus well, just you don't be, need to, being fluid. You don't need to slow down. Like that's the thing. Well, not, you, not so much slow down. I shouldn't say, but shorter steps and keeping going fast. But I feel like, and I talk about me just personally, but yeah, like when I'm going downhill, I'm just full on strides are long. And just fluid. I, I don't even have any like tension in my legs. I'm just like, ah, oh, whatever. I'm just going down. Well, that, I mean, that's actually a great lesson. I mean, the other thing is quick strides and removing the tension from your body it was the, the next part of this. Um, so, you know, long strides necessarily don't mean eccentric muscle contractions. Um, what it usually means is that for the average athlete, they'll increase. Um, but as long as an athlete can remove the tension and prevent that, like, um, absorption process that ha- happens as the muscles kind of hit the snag of tension, mm-hmm. um, that can lead to the, you know, micro damage, micro tears, and um, if they can avoid that, great. So, you know, relax your whole body, move quick. And if you can do those things, you can move fast, which is why I actually don't like athletes going downhills on trails real slow. Like, you know, even if you're out for an easy run, I always like when you hit that trail like that run naturally, like let your body yeah. flow. Um, because, you know, if you're practicing poor form, 
it's not just going to like not necessarily help your neuromuscular end. It's also probably not going to be good for how your body adapts to that session. And every easy day is an opportunity to get better and better at this because the cool thing about downhills is it's not necessarily related to 5k PR performance or anything. It, it can be something that almost anyone excels at with a little bit of practice. So it's the ultimate low hanging fruit in the sport. Let's just summarize it up really quick, David, and, and yeah. just give me your like top tips or bullet points, uh, from the conversation. So that way it, it kind of drives home the the point. Cause I, I mean, there's definitely some interesting stuff in here is at least from what I've learned about how, how to approach and how to like how often to, to run those downhills and train for them and stuff. So if you could just tidy it up really quick and, and give me some bullet points, we'll, we'll finish her up. Oh, heck yeah. Well, so the first overarching point to take into why this matters, and then I'll get into five training takeaways. The first overarching point is that what we consider endurance limitations in running is often fatigue resistance limitations. So an athlete's inability to put out enough power after they've already, um, undergone a certain amount of load. So let's say after you've run 10 miles or after you've run through 2000 kilojoules or something like that, or done 2000 kilojoules of work. Um, and what they're seeing in the studies is that often these fatigue resistance metrics are not tied to traditional metrics of endur uh, aerobic endurance or any other sort of fitness variable we measure. They're tied to something else. They're tied to mechanical fatigue. And the number one um, limiter with mechanical fatigue in trial running is downhill running. So Every athlete, if you improve your downhill running can improve your fatigue resistance. That's essential at every event, whether it's, you know, a 10 K or hundred miles or even farther. I mean, we're talking like, this is the main thing we focus on with our pro athletes in the six weeks before their big events. Um, so are you okay with me getting into five training takeaways? Yeah, let's do it, man. Hell yeah. So, um, <laughs> the first one we've already talked about is practice good form. Um, the, this is the, like the biggest element that athletes can change in one day and see a really big difference. If you like just Google my name and downhill running form, you can find some tutorials online that get into exactly how this looks with videos and things like that. Um, but there's some really cool studies on this. Um, one of the, one of the most fascinating ones was from 2019 and frontiers of physiology. And it found that, um, in a race, so in the real world, in a seven K race, um, performances on the downs had 25% variance, whereas on the flats, they only had 5% variance, oh, um, five to 10% variance. So it points out some athletes just suck at running downhill. And I think that <laughs> that doesn't need to happen, right? The flat might be fitness related. The downhills is related to something that they're missing with form. And so any athlete can be great at this. I promise. I've had so many athletes tell me they suck and then they get amazing, but you have to accept you're amazing or you're never going to get to that point of practicing and in training. It's really one of those, this is the muscle memory element, um, you know, to put it in slightly different terms that, uh, Jeff was mentioning earlier. Yeah. Um, do you, do you feel just before you go on to your next yeah. step, do you, do you feel that it's some form, but also some like mental block of some oh, sort? hundred percent. Right. But the, the way to get through any mental block aside from, you know, working with a therapist is to make sure the baseline things of understanding, even how to do it are first checked. Like I think yeah. often athletes will be like, Oh, I suck at downhills. So I don't even think about this. I just am bad. Um, and similarly it might, let's imagine something has an element of that, that might be, um, comparable. So like dancing, if you think you're a terrible dancer, 
and you've never taken a dance lesson, maybe you've just always been scared your whole life to understand. And I count myself in that group. I'm a terrible dancer because I've never learned. Um, And so, you know, this is something anyone can learn and it's pretty darn easy to make some small changes um, that lead to pretty big uh, outcome differences. And I say this in having coached people who like, let's say came from road running and would say, they're absolutely atrocious at this. Like they're, they just cut themselves yeah. down and now are winning national championships on steep races. And it's like, yeah, it's just understanding that you don't need to have those narratives and um, they flip one day, one tenth of a mile at a time rather than, you know, all overnight. Cool to get on to number two. Yeah, man, go for it. Awesome. So this gets back a little bit more into the moderate grades. So this is more of an all year round. Uh, so throughout the year, aim to run some downhills with purpose, particularly in your long runs. So what, what with purpose means is um, often on easy running in particular, we get so used to just, you know, easy running for me, uphill, like I have to go really slow to keep it easy. But on downhill, the, the one of the things that the studies find, and you probably know in practice is heart rate drops a lot. And so if you look at an athlete's heart rate graph on an easy run, you'll often see their easy, their heart rate drop super duper low as they're going downhill and then spike on ups. It's like, that's fine. But if we're looking to get some of these adaptations in the background, just bring those into more agreement. So like an athlete that just increases their effort into purposeful flow. So like something that you're not holding back, usually their heart rate will still be in the easy range. It'll just be a little higher and that'll allow the mechanical adaptations to start appearing in the background. And that goes for when you're running, you know, your local road run in the winter to when you're just on your local trails, um, as you build up. Um, so that's kind of the background tip just to make sure you're not starting from zero as you get to more specific training. Uh, good for number three. Yeah, man. Awesome. So three, at least once every three weeks during the trail season, you'll remember that uh, three week number train more specifically for downhills. Um, so this is where, okay. Background, just getting some adaptations. Then once every three weeks, go out there and send some downhills, not like sprinting, (laughs) like not, don't try to hurt yourself. Don't be weird with it, but go out and run some downhills that similar to the types of paces you'll do in a half marathon, um, and, or a marathon even and make sure that you're putting your body through those paces and do them on downhills that are, are as steep or steeper than you're going to be doing on that race. And this will basically, if you stopped listening right here, this would be enough to get most of it. Um, we have our athletes do this more like weekly when they're doing races like UTMB or hard rock or, um, Western States races that you need to be at the very best in the world at this stuff. Um, but based on the studies, three-ish weeks should work. Um, so if you have the background of doing downhills with purposeful flow, just in general, they don't need to be all that steep. Start mixing this in. First time you'll get super sore. Second time you'll be less sore. And hopefully by race day, you'll barely be sore at all from this. Going back to the, back to the bout. Yeah. Back to the bout. (laughs) Exactly. And so this is where we start to get, that's all you need for, let's say your normal race, your black Hawk trail half, the types of things that are, are reasonable fun courses, perhaps, uh, where it starts to get a little different is when we're talking about very steep races, which is like, if listeners are coming from Colorado, you've done a lot of races like this probably, or, you know, of them. Um, so we're not even talking hard rock here necessarily. We're also talking races like Western States where downhills are super important or any of the races in the mountains. So in specific training for this very steep race, which is at least four weeks before your race and ideally more like eight, um, include a weekly training day with faster downhills. So this gets into the part I was talking about before. So this can be anything from just on your long run to 
a workout where let's say you'll do six by three minute uphill intervals on steep terrain, and then you turn back around and run for your recovery, run moderately down. So you're practicing both the harder uphill and the smooth downhill. So, um, you know, you can find examples of what I've said on this online, um, in different places, including in the webinar that, uh, Jeff was talking about. Maybe you can put in the show notes or something, um, that gets into details, but this'll make sure that your legs are past the point of destructibility because, um, you know, the race is going to throw things at your body that you're never going to see in training. Like it's just the nature of it. Um, and if you're, prepared 5% more than you think you need to be. Usually that's the sweet spot to prevent the downhill running issues that, you know, can hit everyone. So for anybody that's listening in is more of the 200 mile runner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's, let's talk Moab 240 for a second. Would, would something like this working on a three week window, like does that kind of factor into that type of distance as well? amazing and insightful question because one of our theories, which is not validated in the literature, because it's almost impossible to do a control study on this, is that once you start to get into very long events, so let's say hundred miles and up, even when it's flatter. So a race like Moab that doesn't have a ton of vert, um, the best way you can't prepare for mile 101 or even mile yeah. 70 in training. Um, it's just outside, even the pros, even the people that are the very best in the world at it can't do that. Um, and so what happens as your body starts to fatigue, something called your duty factor increases, which means your essentially your foot is on the ground longer. So what happens when your foot's on the ground longer knee sinks a little bit more, what does that remind us of? the eccentric muscle contractions that we've seen before. So when athletes do really long events, they'll find a lot of the same soreness patterns, even if those events are perfectly flat that they would, if they did a very steep event. And likely it's because their form changes that happen as you fatigue cause some more eccentric muscle contractions. So since we can't simulate going that far in training, Mm -hmm. um, steeper trails done in that every three week cycle, we theorize is probably the best way to do it. And so, you know, we coach people like John Kelly and Damian Hall, who are some of the best multi-day athletes in the world who do these really big, um, 200 plus mile things. And the way we do it is they're around 70 miles a week, which isn't insane at the top level. Um, but they're doing more vert than you would think for doing events that aren't that steep. And it gets back to, Hey, maybe this is a way to hack around the volume problem, which is we can't simulate how the form deteriorates in those really long events, but we can simulate what that causes. So downhills are kind of a sneaky way to get better at everything. Yeah. All right. Finish her off at number five. Number five, uh, the sexy thing I haven't mentioned is strength (laughs) training. Um, so, you know, again, eccentric muscle contractions, you know, you can simulate them in running, but if you overload them slightly in strength training, which is the way a lot of this, like any exercise works, um, can cause really quick adaptation. So if you're curious, um, we have two routines, the three minute mountain legs and the eight minute speed legs. Um, you can do those each week. Like again, that's 11 minutes and it'll get you all the adaptations you need from the strength element. And so if you Google that it's everywhere online, but other strength programs work too. Essentially, you want to make sure that you're quadricep muscles, your VMOs, your hamstrings, all are prepared for slightly more loading that you're going to do, um, in a running form. And that'll give you a little bit more wiggle room for, you know, unique stresses that you might face on a race or in training or other things. Plus it'll keep you healthier. might make you go faster too. Tell you what I dude, I always walk away with more knowledge every single time <laughs> I talk to you. So it's like the last time we talked on the, on the podcast, it was about power hiking. And I still yeah. put all of that 
to use, um, you know, from the conversation we had there, uh, I still put all that to use and I still talk to people about power hiking <laughs> when yeah, I'm out there, amazing. when I'm out there at the races and, and just at our group runs and stuff. So I, I always love having conversations with you like this. It's, it's always fun to talk to you and see you guys out at the, at the events. And I appreciate you taking some time, uh, and to join me today and, and talk. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. And I, I, your events are amazing. Everyone go run them. They're the best. Um, I, you know, I, Megan, my wife, Megan, who's pregnant right now. And so I'm not leaving home very much because it's a higher risk pregnancy. So I've just been essentially doing just races and it's been such a fulfilling summer. It's plenty for me, <laughs> even though I've raced all over the world. I'm like, this is great. I get to go have so much fun and it's a great vibe and everyone's supportive. Um, so thank you. Um, and then I guess the, the one takeaway I just want to give for anyone listening to this, especially because it was more technical than, I mean, that's what I'm here for, but like, um, then maybe I usually would be in practice. If anyone listens to our podcast, they're like, what, um, where are the jokes about like, <laughs> lubrication, um, is the, the biggest key here that ties it all together is decide right now that you are a downhill boss, because if you don't make that leap, um, you know, you're going to come into issues. And if you do make that leap, you're going to be seeing positive reinforcement every single day you're out there. And what we know about downhill running from the research is that repeating the bouts in a sustained and focused way leads to wild growth in every single athlete tested almost, um, across the board. Um, but the only way to get that growth going and to really seize that opportunity is to make the decision that, Hey, I'm actually good at this. And even if you don't feel good at the start, eventually you're going to adapt to the ceiling set by that self-talk. So let's turn that self-talk all the way to total freaking boss Hell and yeah. your physiology will likely follow. <laughs> The Trail Life Podcast presented by Solomon is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Stoner. Theme song provided by The Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. You can rate, review, and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other place you stream your favorite podcasts. Thank you again, everybody, and we'll see you on the trails real soon.